Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. We're coming to the end of our series uh, through the opening chapters of Luke's Gospel. And today we're looking at Luke chapter 2 and verses 41 to 52, where Jesus, at the age of 12, goes to the temple and then gets left behind. Now, other than when Jesus was dedicated as a baby, Luke's gospel only mentions twice that Jesus went to the temple. Once right at the beginning, when he was 12, and then right at the end, at the end of the gospel, when he's crucified. And in both of those occasions, it's during the festival of the Passover. Now, to get the the background to these Old Testament visits, we need to go back to some ancient prophecy in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, which was written about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. It says, Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So when God comes, when God comes in the, in the person of the Messiah, He is going to come and visit His temple. And Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2 says that the Messiah would be, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on Him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord will be on Him when He visits And it's with this background in mind that we're going to be looking at our passage in Luke chapter 2 and verses 41 to 52. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Well, the tension's been running high. I mean, it's fever pitch. It's, it's, Pente- uh, um, sorry, it's Passover again. And uh, there are loads of pilgrims from all over the place in town in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, we normally have a population of about 80,000 people. But during festival time, it swells to about 500,000 people. It's just jam-packed with people. You see, our law requires every adult male, although women and children are also expected to come, but our law requires that every adult male would attend the three great festivals in Jerusalem. Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacle. 
Now, of course, for those who are, are living far away, like in Galilee, which is like a good three days' journey, it, it's often impossible to make it to all three. But whole villages would come every year for the Passover. And those Jews who are even living further afield, they would make sure that at least once in the lifetime they would come to celebrate the Passover. You see, the Passover is very special for us Jews. It's a time where we remember how God rescued us from slavery in Egypt. And it's called the Passover because the angel of death passed over us when it saw the blood of the Lamb on our doorposts. And so at the Passover... On the first day, we would all take a lamb, go into the temple, and give it to the priest to sacrifice for us. We would then go back to our own accommodation in Jerusalem, and we, that night, we would eat the lamb with some bitter herbs, together with the whole family, to remind us of the bitter years of slavery, and how it was through the blood of the lamb on our doorpost that God rescued us from slavery all those years ago. And then for the next seven days of the festival, we would just eat unleavened bread. Anyhow, as I said, the tensions were running high. You see, with all these people in town and with all the religious and nationalistic feelings at fever pitch, riots often break out. You see, when everyone comes to Jerusalem, we suddenly reminded that the Romans are ruling over us. The sheer fact that pagan Romans are ruling over us and we're not truly independent is abhorrent to most Jews, not to mention how they're exploiting us through very high taxes. And so riots often break out. And the Romans know this. So the Roman governor and a whole battalion of soldiers are also in town. And if a riot breaks out, they will simply slaughter everyone. So I'm on guard duty to keep the peace, and to make sure there is no riot. No, I'm not a Roman soldier. How could you even suggest that? No, I'm a temple guard. We work for the chief priests. We kind of like the local police force. And it's a great honor to be a temple guard. You see, not any old Jew can become a temple guard. You have to be a Levite. No, not Levi genes. No, you have to be from the tribe of Levi. And you know the priestly tribe where the priests come from? We also have very important duties in assisting the priests within, within the temple. So it's a great honor. Anyhow, like I said, we were all on high alert. The chief priests had heard that a rabbi called Jesus of Nazareth was coming to town with a group, of, whole group of followers and everyone was claiming that he was the Messiah, that he was the true king of the Jews who was going to rescue us, just as God had rescued us all those years back from slavery in Egypt. And according to the chief priests, this had the potential of causing a riot and getting everyone killed. So our job was to keep the peace, make sure there was no riot, and if need be, we needed to take out the so-called Messiah. All the other temple gods were like, who is this rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth? I've never heard of him. I had heard of him. In fact, I had met him many, many years ago. It was about 21 years earlier 
when I met him. He was, he was still a little boy then, about 12 years old. I will never forget that day. It, it was the first day I was on the job. I was standing guard at one of the entrances in the temple. I was so young and so excited. I was convinced that I was going to stop a riot or catch a thief or a bandit. My first assignment, a missing child. And not even a young little child, but a 12-year-old boy. I mean, he was almost a man. You see, in our culture, you come of age at 13. When you turn 13, you are considered to be a man. You leave school and you start an apprenticeship in whatever trade you're going to go into. And you have to stand on your own two feet as a man. But more than that, when you turn 13, you become a son of the law. You probably have heard of the ceremony bar mitzvah, which means son of the law. In other words... When you turn 13, you suddenly become personally responsible for following God's law in the Old Testament. And so, you would, at big festivals like the Passover, you would often find a lot of fathers with their 12-year-old sons, mentoring them, showing them around the temple, explaining everything to them, showing them what they have to do, because the next year they are personally responsible for doing all of that by themselves as a man. And they will be like, son, this is the temple. Son, this is Passover. This is where you get the lamb. This is where you take the lamb. This is what you've got to do. This is what Passover means. This is what the lamb means. This is what our faith means. They mentor their son. And it's around this age of 12, just before they come of age, that the son begins to gain his, his real identity and, and his vocation, a sense of his vocation and calling in life. Anyhow, so there I was, standing on God, when all of a sudden, this father and mother come rushing up to me, and they're in a right panic. Calm down, calm down, I said. What's the matter? We've lost our son. We left him behind. It's been three days and we still can't find him. Please help. They were in a right panic. And now that I think back on it, it's not that surprising. Imagine being entrusted with bringing up the Messiah and you lose him for three days. Well, we can't be too harsh on them. It's an easy mistake to make. You see, these pilgrims, they, they travel in big groups of family, extended family and friends. And all the women and the children travel up at the front. And all the men bring up the rear. And so it's an easy mistake to make. You can imagine. A 12-year-old could be in either group. He could be at the back with his father because he's been mentored. Or he could be at the front with the woman and all the other children. So the father's thinking he's with the boys with his mother, and the mother's thinking the boys with his father. And after a whole day of traveling, when they stop to make camp, then suddenly they realize he's missing. I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. And so the next day, the second day, they rush all the way back to Jerusalem. And then on the third day, they start searching for him, and they can't find him, and so they're anxious. Well, we did eventually find him. You will never guess where we found him. 
in the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. You see, it's during the big religious festivals, and especially straight afterwards, that all the great rabbis in Jerusalem and from all over Israel gathered together in the temple courts to teach the law of God and to have discussion and debate in an open forum. And anyone, well, any Jewish male, is allowed to participate in these open debates by simply coming and sitting at the feet of these great rabbis and learning from them. And the whole learning process works on asking and answering probing questions. You would ask your questions, the rabbis would answer with a counter question, and so on and so on. Well, there he was, this 12-year-old sitting at the feet of these great rabbis, listening to them and asking them questions. I mean, it was truly amazing. Uh, Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. I mean, it was really amazing. He asked such insightful questions, and he had such good understanding. And some of his answers were truly profound. But you know what the most amazing thing was? He was only 12 years old. Sure, he would have gone to school at the synagogue with all the other boys in Nazareth. But it's only after a person has come of age and sat under a great rabbi that you gain such good insight. This was truly exceptional. Even the rabbis were amazed. And I could tell right there and then that he had great potential and that one day he would become a great rabbi himself. Perhaps he would end up teaching on these very courts. Perhaps he would even end up teaching these great rabbis. Well, Those weren't the only people who were astonished and amazed. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. They weren't astonished at his great insight, nor were they astonished at the fact that he'd been left behind. After all, children do get left behind. They were astonished that he didn't seem to even notice that they had gone. He was just so absorbed in learning the scriptures from these great rabbis that he hadn't even noticed the time. Now that I think about it, I never did find out where he spent those two nights. Maybe he spent them somewhere in the temple. I don't know. Well then, his mother said, as only mothers can, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I sensed a real mix of emotions in her voice. She was quite understandably annoyed, but there also seemed to be some confusion. Like, how could he not have realized that we had gone? Plus, there was a real sense of relief at last finding him, mixed in with quite a lot of guilt at the fact that she had lost him for for three days. And now she was releasing all of this emotion all at once. But now her son, who had seemed to display such a good understanding, all of a sudden seems to be completely confused. And he says, why were you searching for me? 
Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, he wasn't being rude, and there was no hint of sarcasm in his voice. He was genuinely confused. Why were you looking for me? I mean, surely you know I had to be here. Surely if you wanted to find me, you would have just come here and called me. Now we were confused. Now why did he have to be there? And, and how were we supposed to know? But he actually said one of the most shocking things I have ever heard. Although I didn't pick it up at first. He said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Do you get it? He's calling the temple his father's house. We all looked at Joseph. Joseph was scratching his head. He was claiming that God was his father. Now, no one in my culture has ever claimed anything like that. It's just way too intimate. It's way too personal. But he was claiming that God was his father, which means he is the unique Son of God. He was claiming that he was God himself and in some mysterious way he had stepped into human history as a human. Wow. Now that I think about it, I wonder, perhaps just as all the other 12-year-olds for the first time were discovering their true identity and their true vocation, their calling in life, Perhaps this was the first time or the decisive moment that Jesus gains a self-conscious awareness of who he really is and what he's called to be, the Messiah. I wonder. Anyway, imagine being his parents. Imagine being the parent of a child who thinks they're the son of God. I mean, that must be a handful. But apparently not. And I have this on a very good source. But apparently when they went back to Nazareth, he was really polite and obedient to his parents. Even though he was clearly way more intelligent and his wisdom was way beyond theirs. And apparently he just kept growing in his wisdom and in his maturity. And everybody liked him. He was really popular. He was a good kid. But you know what I just can't get out of my mind? Is what he said. When he said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He had to be. It was an absolute necessity. He just had to be in the temple. He just had to be learning the scriptures from those great rabbis. He had to be in the presence of his father, worshipping with other people. He had to be. Now, if he's the Messiah, and I'm not saying he is, but if he is the Messiah and he feels he has to be in the temple, he has to be learning the scriptures, he has to be listening to rabbis, he has to be in the presence of God, worshipping amongst other people, how much more is that true for me? How much more is it true that I need to be reading my Bible? I I need to be learning from rabbis? I need to be gathering in the presence of God with other people for worship? 
I mean, if the Messiah needs to be studying the scriptures and in the presence of God in the temple in order to discover his true identity and his calling, how much more do I? I wish I had that sense of commitment, that sense of it being an absolute priority, an absolute necessity to be reading the Bible, to be learning the Bible, to be sitting under great teachers, to be gathering with other people in the presence of God for worship. How about you? Do you have a sense that you have to be in your heavenly Father's presence? Do you? What's that? Everyone's grabbing palm trees. He must be coming. I better go. Let's pray. Actually, before we pray, let's just, let's just reflect a few things on this story. Aren't we just like Mary and Joseph? Mary and Joseph head off back to Nazareth, assuming Jesus is in their company, assuming that, that he's with them, but he's not. They've left him behind. How often do we go off on our own path, on our own business Just assuming Jesus is with us, he's accompanying us. But he's not. Because we've lost him, we've left him behind. And when we sense that lack of presence in our life, we need to search for him. Search for him in prayer, in reading the Bible, in gathering together with other people to worship God in the presence of God. And we need to search for him and not give up until we find him. And then we need to join him in his father's work. So a couple of questions for us to reflect on. Are we committed to reading our Bible and praying as an absolute necessity? Are we committed to coming to church to learn from the teaching and to worship God together as an absolute necessity? Are we committed to experiencing God's presence and joining in his work as an absolute necessity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on this story, we see Jesus' desire just to be in your temple, to be in your presence, to learn from you, and to join you in your business, into your work. Father, we just realize how far we fall short. Father, we often give lip service to it being a necessity, but in practice we we like Mary and Joseph just following our own path, getting on with our own business, just assuming Jesus is with us. Father, won't you forgive us? Father, won't you give us a heart and a desire to make sure that's an absolute necessity that we are in your presence, that we are constantly learning from you, constantly being aware of your presence and joining you in what you're doing, rather than just hoping that you're going to join us in what we're doing. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.